all have picked up on this over time and worshiping here. But I just want to say thank you to Gary for how well he integrates all the major themes of the passage each week into the songs and the readings. You know, some of the major key themes from the passage this week include love and then also the peace of Christ, which should rule our hearts. And Christ is truly the foundation of the church and our response and thankfulness. Uh, and all this comes from the gospel and the work of the gospel in our lives. Uh, so that Ephesians 2 passage is a great example of that. So um, it's just wonderful to be able to worship with y'all in a way that integrates the whole service together uh, towards God's word. Let me go ahead and pray for us as we get going. Father, I thank you that you have redeemed a people for yourself. Lord, help us in our weakness to trust you. Help us to put off the old self, to put on the new, and to live in light of the grace that you have shown towards us. Help us to truly love one another as you've called us to. Help us to live under the peace of Christ and be thankful. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you would open up to Colossians chapter 3, we'll be continuing in through the middle of the chapter, verses 12 through 15 this week, and I'll read that for us in a minute. But in this week's passage, we do hear these key words of love and peace. And they may seem like vague platitudes, you know, something you've heard before. And you may see them on signs or wrapping paper at Christmas time. Or you may have heard them in relation to hippies or um, people who want peace in the world, pacifism. Or for some of you, uh, you may see love and peace as something that's the furthest from your present experience in our day and time. You know, everybody is complaining about 2020, right? But uh, the reality is, for Paul, the, these are key words in this section. And they characterize how Christians should be living together as a new community. And that's what we'll be exploring this morning. So have you ever talked to someone about the Christian faith, and their reply is, well, Christians don't act like Christians, they're just a bunch of hypocrites. So you trust in Christ, so what? What does it matter? And they're, how does that affect your life? In ways that set you apart from those around you. In social groups outside the church, do you fit right in with your, with your actions, your attitude, your speech? Indistinguishable from somebody else. Christians living as a new community is a central focus of Christ's teaching. I think we're going to see that over time as we continue in Matthew with Ben's series. The Sermon on the Mount speaks to this. Places like Matthew 16 through 18 where Jesus is preparing his disciples to live without him talk about this. And also Paul speaks about this in Colossians chapter 3. But... We don't always do that very well, do we? 
You see, in, in Colossians, we're called to turn to Christ with this emphasis on union with Christ. We've talked about that in previous sermons. And then for the better part of chapter 3, our union with Christ has implications for our lives. We don't just leave it there, saying we're united with Christ as though we have some lofty thoughts about who we are that are not connected with our real lives. We are called to be different. And so Paul is building this case that we should be living distinctively in light of who we are. And this is not just implications for our personal life either. It's about our life together. The church is a new community. And so we should be living together in light of a new life. And so each of these sermons has been layering upon one another. You may have noticed me doing that, repeating verses from the previous sermons. uh, Because there's there's some layered developing thought here in the passage. And so a few weeks ago, I I did speak about putting off the old self and putting on the new self. And Christ and the fruit of the Spirit. And then Wes picked up with this theme of unity in the closing verses of that last section. And I'm going to repeat a few of those verses, 12 and 13, talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Because they lay a foundation for where we're headed. Verses 14 and 15, talking about love as our bond of unity. And the peace of Christ, which should rule our hearts. So let's read now. I'll I'll read from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. So, verses 12 and 13, this fruits of the Spirit there, the fruit of the Spirit is relational. You can't practice them in isolation. That's why these words bond of unity and one body are included. We're not individual Christians here. We can only show compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience as we live together in Christ. And so we live in unity by bearing fruit, Verses 12 and 13. With love as our bond of unity. In verse 14. And with hearts ruled by the peace of Christ. Verse 15. And also with thankfulness. So let's start off with this being reminded about the fruit here. In verses 12 and 13. So we live in unity by bearing fruit. Let me reread those verses. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved... Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you are to forgive. So first we see this prerequisite that this is given to God's people. Right? Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved. 
And Paul is starting from the frame of reference that, one, we belong to God, but also that we belong to this new community. And so compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, these are virtues that come from a changed heart. And so we must look to Christ. He is our only hope in life and death. And the one who trusts in him, they will find their joy and strength in belonging to Christ and his kingdom. And the one who follows false idols and the deeds of the flesh that come from those idols will not find their hope in Christ. And so there is this old versus new contrast there. These fruit come from a new heart. It's not something that you apply to the surface. It's the fruit of a new life in Christ. And the point is that we're not just applying compassion to the way we interact with others. It's that those who are in Christ are characterized by compassion. You see the difference? Right? It's that those who are in Christ they have this desire that pours forth from a heart that has been changed by Christ. And so John says in 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Right? Is that your is that your concern? Right? If that is, then um, then we will be able to to love only because he has first loved us. So our dis, our ability to display virtues from what Christ has done from us, the, the prerequisite is that we belong to God first. Right? So we have to get that straight. That we've trusted in Christ. And so then we're no longer fearing our status before others. We're not concerned first with how others treat us. You will be tossed to and fro by the wind if your hope is not found in Christ. So the steadfast person finds their strength in Christ. So when they are weak, when they're uneasy... When they're frail and weighed down, they turn to the cross. And steadfastness is not what you might think. It's not this standing strong with your chest puffed up and saying, look at me, and I'm being bold. No, it's, it's exhibited in a heart of compassion. There's a stability to it. It's, it's rounded out with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And it takes a full assurance of faith to live those out well. So I briefly touched on this verse last time I preached. And then, again, a few weeks ago, Wes looked at each of these qualities. And I think it's worth at least touching on them again briefly before we move on into to love and the peace of Christ. So first, compassion. To have mercy. Right? To, to be tender towards another person. To display concern for the situation of someone else. Do you find yourself cold or unconcerned about the needs of others? Are you oblivious to what's going on inside them emotionally? And this could go both ways. You may be the type of person who's aggressive and unconcerned about what may be going on in somebody else. Or you might be the person who's been burned and hurt by past relationships. And yet we're called to put on a heart of compassion kindness, to be helpful, to seek to benefit the other person, to freely help them out of a concern for them. So do you find yourself expecting them to come to you or for them to take care of an issue themselves? Or are you willing to let them sink and swim? 
or swim? Or do you look upon them with kindness? Humility, to have modest expectations, particularly modest expectations about yourself, to have less concern for yourself. Recently, in our discipleship hour, when studying anger, we pointed out how humility is the anecdote for anger. It diffuses anger. Do you find yourself expecting better for yourself and demanding that your name be honored, that your will be done, and that your kingdom come? That's the opposite of humility. So gentleness can also be translated meekness. It can be thought of as power under control. So the word can also mean humility, but I think we should think of it more in terms of acting with gentleness. So do you force your will upon another person? Or or do you just resolve conflicts through that force of will? Or do you act in gentleness? Patience. Being calm and willing to wait. Patience is hard work. It means that we're, going to, we're not going to take matters into our own hands. Are we willing to wait upon the Spirit to convict? Or do you want to be the Holy Spirit for someone else? Are you patient and willing to take your concerns to the Lord and willing to see change come into somebody's life? See, all these we should know that compassion, kindness... Humility, gentleness, patience, they are doing hard work. It takes a certain amount of grace and maturity to bring them about. And that's why Paul is telling us to put them on. It's not because they are easy. It's because that's what we're called to be in Christ. And they are necessary if we're going to live together as a new community. So when all sides are living this way, then the community of Christ is on display. The result is that we live in stark contrast to the world around us. And the gospel is clearly displayed as we interact with one another in light of new life. So let's look at some applications. First, Christian love does not seek its own. Too often, we demand our own way. We want what we perceive to be best for us. And sometimes we just want what we want. Love, on the other hand, is to want what's best for someone else. It can mean providing for their needs or caring for them, but it can also mean just helping them to see things in their own life that they can't see. Love is not this romantic vision that we have of love. It seeks to bring about what is good for another person, even if it's hard. Then Paul calls love the perfect bond of unity. In seeking the good of another, we do what's best according to God's plan, and we seek to do it in God's way. So let's not short-circuit God's way and demand what we want. We we want to cut to the end oftentimes, right? That lack of patience. Kindness, gentleness, patience all fit within this. And because it's done in accordance with God's values, it it brings about a unity that can only be found 
when people get together seek to live according to God's way. Right? Second, Christian love does not seek uniformity. So living in accordance with God's way is a part of this new community, but it doesn't nullify the uniqueness of the individual. We don't seek uniformity, but we seek unity. So unity of purpose, a common goal, a common end, a common set of values. Uniformity, on the other hand, is to have everyone like yourself. The, The Christian community is pulled from diverse backgrounds and cultures. And we can expect to worship with people who are different than us. And we should expect people who disagree with us. But we should also be united around God's word and the good news of Jesus Christ, and the unity of purpose that those bring. Third, Christian love bears with others. In verse 13, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, we forbear. We pass over those sins. We may have a complaint, but we don't always hold that complaint to account. We pass over it and move on. Bearing with others means that we bear with their faults and their weaknesses in an understanding way. And this would not be possible without compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, and patience that we see in verse 12. So 12 builds into 13. So do you struggle to bear with the sins of others? Are you able to bear with them and move on? Fourth, Christian love forgives. Right? Forgiveness is set in this context of the Lord forgiving us. Right? Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you are to forgive. These words, even as the Lord shows us that even in serious charges, we should forgive. Right? Because the Lord has forgiven us immensely. The Lord has forgiven us so greatly, and we, but even more than forgiveness is implied here. Right? We, we seek to bring redemption into our disagreements and losses, to call others to where they can find life. Right? There, there's a more full-orbed understanding of what forgiveness means in a Christian context. Right? Christian forgiveness includes this element of reconciliation. It restores relationship. So as we forgive, we reach out to them and we call them back. Back to the gospel. Back into relationship. Do you struggle to reach out and restore? Do you hold out for the other side to move first? We should want good to come to the other person. And that's what love is. And we're told that love is the perfect bond of unity. So let's look at verse 14. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we should want to put on love, but why? Why should we want to put on love? All these other virtues that Paul mentions in verse 12 are nothing without love. 
To be kind from the heart requires love. To be meek, humble, and patient from the heart requires love. And so love is the perfect bond that ties these together. It's the heart inclination that drives all the other expressions of compassion that we see in verses 12 and 13. It's the seal that makes those actions genuine. And it comes from a heart that has been changed by Christ. And so just as Christ has forgiven you without love, these other things are just actions. Right? They will not last. And the point is, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart such that these actions are expressions of who you have become in Christ. So how does love bind together? Chrysostom uses this illustration of a ship where the sails are strong and large and propel the ship forward. And the rudder is strong to give the ship direction. But if it lacks rope, then it's of no use. The rope connects the pieces together to make the ship effective. Without the rope, there's nothing to bind the beams together. There's nothing to give life to its sails. Love, like the rope, is what binds it all together, animates it, gives direction to its strength. A similar illustration is a body with no ligaments to join it together. You may have the strength of doctrine like strong bones, or you may have the power of virtues of compassion and patience like strong muscles, but they're bound together with ligaments that tie everything together. And so love is the bond, but specifically it's the perfect bond of unity. So if love is willing to will that good come to another person, then mutual love within Christ's new community brings the community together in perfect unity. So perfect there could be translated completion, perfection, harmony. Uh, the, the connotation is that this love is working towards an end. A perfect and complete end. This is the purpose of Christ's redemption. The first fruits of a new creation. Right? The restoration of people to what God intended. And so the, the, the completion here, to be perfect and complete, means that they're restored to the purpose that God intended in creation. Everything is restored to right. So another way to say this is that love binds us together toward completeness. And we're called in one body, bound together in love. And it can sometimes not feel that way, can't it? As Christians segregate themselves into groups that fit their cultural expectations. Right, we need to remember that what Paul is saying here. Completeness comes in our unity out of all the backgrounds that we come from. We complement one another. The church needs all of its members. Right? And the point here is that we're working toward completion. Right? A perfect and complete end, and that's the whole point of the gospel, isn't it? God is working to restore everything back to what is right and good. And he has chosen to begin that work through his church. 
And it's important that we live in light of the gospel. And so we have this responsibility to show the world a people who from the heart live as a new community. A community that bears with one another and forgives one another. And this love does not seek its own. It doesn't seek uniformity. But love for one another draws one another into sanctification. To live in light of the gospel. Together to bring one another towards completion in Christ. By, all, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John says in his gospel. So when we're involved in a conflict, do you see an opportunity to speak the gospel into that situation? To apply the gospel to your own heart and life? To draw both you and the other person into repentance and forgiveness? It's one thing for me to stand up here and use these platitudes of love and peace. It's another for us to live that way with one another. This is especially true in a broken relationship. The past wells up in us. Our emotions rule us. Our idols rule us. We should be living under the rule of Christ. So what does a lack of love look like? let's, Let's draw this out a little bit. Think about it as a contrast. What do we do when we've been in a conflict with someone? When we talk with them, we we see the conflict. Not what they're saying in the moment. Instead, we import all the baggage of the past into the present. And then when we hear that what they're saying, it can become distorted and twisted, mangled into this mess of an image that we've represented in our own mind instead of what they're actually saying. And we're uncharitable in how we see the other person. We say that they're always this way. They all, they're always out to get to me. Or they just don't like me. And sometimes you get in situations where each side in a broken relationship is reacting to the other. And we struggle to divorce the past from the present. What's really happening is we struggle to forgive. We won't move on. Their past sins are like this scarlet letter that we pin to their chest. And we're going to hold them to that. It becomes the identity that we place upon the other person instead of the identity of Christ. Right? This whole section, what we're talking about is union with Christ. Right? That we find our identity in Christ. Right? And then anger can turn into bitterness. And another aspect is that we hold on to our anger. In discipleship hour few weeks ago, we talked about anger, and we looked at Psalm 4 as an example of dealing with anger constructively through lament, reflection, and turning our hurts over to God. And I'd encourage you to go read through that on your own to consider how to deal with anger. But one of the things we discussed in that discipleship hour is that when anger is not dealt with constructively, then it bears this fruit of bitterness. And this is a negative result of, of a lack of forgiveness. In our lives. And so we prepare for a fight. And we expect the fight, we prepare for it in our minds, right? We rehearse what we're going to say, we refine how we're going to respond to the other person, and we indulge ourselves in building this false narrative about the other person, and then we believe it. 
right? Going back to this lack of charitability. And we want to be right, so we make them wrong. And we start to believe things about them that are twisted and distorted. And really, this is bad mental hygiene. We, we let all the dirt into our minds and then we revel in it. And so here's the problem. Without love, there is no perfect bond of unity. In these situations, where is the compassion? Where's the kindness, humility, gentleness, patience? And when we see someone in sin, do we create distance? Or do we draw near to them in compassion? Where's the kindness? Do we approach the other person in a way that seeks to freely benefit them? Where's the gentleness and meekness? Do we throw our weight around to get to what we want? Or do we hold back our strength? Where's the patience? Are we willing to be patient to see change come into their lives? Love binds these together and brings us toward completion. Right? And the result of love being the perfect bond of unity is that we will live under the peace of Christ. So let's look at verse 15. And let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. The peace of Christ is the peace that God has established among his people. And we're not talking about inner peace and tranquility here. We're talking about a new heart, affection. If Christ rules our hearts, then peace, the peace of Christ, will rule our hearts. It's a contrast with the quarrels and disagreements that once described us. So what rules your heart? Is it your idols or the peace of Christ? Something will rule our hearts. We go back and look at verses 5 through 13. It's all about this contrast between the idols and looking to Christ. Hearts that are ruled by idols will yield the deeds of the flesh. That's verses 5 through 8. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. But we're called to put that away from us. Verse 9. And instead of our idols, they're replaced with devotion to Christ, verses 10 and 11. And the result is the fruit of the Spirit, verses 12 and 13. We should long for Christ to displace the idols that have so often ruled our hearts. And then moving on into verses 14 and 15, when Christ rules our hearts, then we have a unity that can only be found in Christ, and we live with a peace that it can only come through the work of Christ in our lives. And so if we experience peace with God through the cross, then how can we not have peace with one another? How can you not prize the advance of the gospel in the hearts of those who've been warmed to love him? That should be prized among us. We should be committed to living in peace among God's people. And Paul specifically says that we're called to this, to which you were also called in one body. And notice that Paul is repeating this idea of unity again. Peace rules the hearts of his people individually, and it characterizes their life together corporately. Brothers and sisters, we have been called to this. 
So don't let the expounding of familiar themes of love and peace become a bore to you. For some, they may be so used to living at war that they can barely imagine real peace. Brothers and sisters, it starts with you. Don't go thinking this starts with the other person. It starts with you. You've been called to this, and together the body should be characterized by this. Paul is giving us a beautiful image of what life as a part of Christ's community should look like. As far as it is up to you, live at peace. You may have good reason to hold others to account. You may be able to justify your anger to yourself. But as far as it is up to you, live at peace with one another. And may the peace of Christ rule your hearts. So rule here could be rendered regulate or to umpire. It means that the peace of Christ regulates how Christ's people live together. It's not just that we have peace with one another. It's not just the cessation of hostilities. It's that our life together is regulated by the peace of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit in our lives characterizes this life together. And so here's the rub. It can be really hard, especially when our emotions get involved. Peace and love are not ethereal concepts. They're hard work. So recognizing that it is hard work, we have to bring the gospel to bear here. We're called to bring the gospel into how we relate with others. And in the context of the church, it should be what we call one another to in the midst of conflict. The gospel calls us into a new and changed life. It calls us to forgiveness. It calls us to restored relationships. And so we want to draw people into change and restoration. As we live together. The, the whole point of discipline in the New Testament is restoration of the one who is in sin. It's to bring them back. To invite them to return to obedience to Christ and restored relationship. So when you approach a conflict in a relationship, you have a choice. You can do it in a way that builds trust, encourages healing, that brings the gospel to bear. Or you can do it in a way that brings distance. We react oftentimes. Now, remember the the context there of of these passages of discipline in the New Testament is that we want to bring the other back, right? They're they're no longer wandering. They're coming back. They've repented. They understand that they have wandered away from God and that they're returning to God. But oftentimes we just move away out of self-preservation or self-centeredness. There's a couple different mechanisms there. And we want to hold the other to account rather than drawing them in and toward the gospel. But moving towards the other person with the light of the gospel brings a healing that's wrought in love with hearts ruled by the peace of Christ. So if we're going to be a new community in Christ, then we have to deal with relational difficulties in ways that seek to honor God and seek the good of his people. 
by walking together in compassion. That's verses 12 and 13. Compassion in our posture when we approach the conflict. We're to bear with one another, forgive one another. With love is our bond of unity. That's verse 14. Our unity is found in the gospel. And the love that we have for one another binds together. It brings completeness. And then with hearts ruled by the peace of Christ. In verse 15. The peace of Christ must rule us. That means that it must guide us. It's an imperative that regulates how we relate to other people. It comes directly from Christ and it's in contrast to the idols that once ruled us. So we should be committed to seeking peace with one another. That peace is not that we no longer are fighting. It's that the peace of Christ should rule our hearts. And if we could do this, if we can forgive, if we can let go of bitterness, if we can lean into relationships out of compassion rather than preparing for a fight, if we can bring the gospel to bear, then we can live as a new community together and be thankful. We live in unity with thankfulness. Right? It's a response to God's work in our lives. Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul does say that they did not honor God or give thanks. All mankind does owe some thanks to God in creation. But in Colossians, the command to be thankful is set in the context of our life together. It's more specific. First, we can be thankful as those who have received grace from God in Christ. And second, we can be thankful as those who have been made part of a new community ruled by the peace of Christ. And so we can look at our own lives before and after and be thankful to God. But this passage is asking us for something more. We respond with thankfulness in the midst of our relationships. There's a sweetness and joy there. When you experience a community ruled by the peace of Christ, brothers and sisters long for that. This thankfulness is not simply an appreciation for some service that somebody has shown us. The word itself can mean to be amiable or agreeable, but gratitude towards God fits the context. In just a few verses later, in verse 17, it actually says, give thanks to God. So this thankfulness is set in gratitude and contentment rather than bitterness and heartache. How can we harbor ill toward one another if the peace of Christ rules our hearts and we live in thankfulness? So we are thankful for Christ working in our hearts, that our idols that once ruled us have now been replaced by the peace of Christ. We're thankful for being brought together in a new community, which together is ruled by the peace of Christ. We're thankful for healed relationships as we live with compassion towards one another, seeking unity and completeness then how could we not be thankful? So when you see relationships healed and people living together in light of the gospel, how could we not be thankful? Are you thankful for that? And when you rejoice to see a sinner repent, are you thankful? And when you see a life changed, are you thankful And when two people who are in conflict come together in peace, 
Are you thankful? When we live together as a community shaped by the rule of Christ, the rule of peace of Christ in our hearts, are you thankful? In upcoming sermons in Colossians, we will continue to see that the work of God in our hearts bears fruit in our lives in, in this context of relationships. And the next sermon, we'll, we'll see how the community is shaped by the Word of God that pours forth in worship together. And in the context of this passage, we, we see this union with Christ and the putting off of the old self, the putting on of the new, applied to our personal lives and by extension to our relationships. The fruit of the Spirit is set with and applied to how we relate to one another. Being a new creation, being born again, brings change into lives that we are called to live in light of new life. We are to bear with one another, showing compassion and living in forgiveness as we walk together. We're to put on love and let the peace of Christ rule our hearts. Or to be thankful for the work of God in our lives and among those who walk in communion with us. This podcast is brought to you by Redeemer Church a community of believers in Fort Worth, Texas, committed to equipping God's people to delight in God's glory and declare that glory to our neighbors and the nations. For more information, visit our website at RedeemerFortWorth.org.